Hello, today is uh, Sunday, August uh, the 26th, and I'm here um, doing an interview for the Austin History Center on the History of the Mexican-American Culture Center, and I'm Susana Almanza. And today we have Catherine, if, Catherine, if you could give us uh, your full name. Catherine Vasquez Rivia. And if you could spell it for the record for us. Surely, uh, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-V-A-S-Q-U-E-Z. R-E-V-I-L-L-A. Okay, Catherine. Now, give us some information. When, where were you born? I was born here in Austin. Okay. Uh, is it in a particular part of Austin? Uh, I was born and raised in East Austin, as my, as my family has been for since the night. Actually, we did some, some ancestor uh, research for an article that uh, was done on part of my family. And we discovered a document that showed that my great-grandfather came here in 1913. Wow. And uh, can you tell us maybe, I mean, this is really interesting, but can you maybe tell us about some special memories that you might have uh, growing up here in East Austin uh, with your family? Well, my family always had businesses. And uh, they had uh, tortilla factories and restaurants. and. Uh, I, I remember working and playing in the tortilla factory and in the restaurants. And they're still in the business. And the grandchildren are now have started uh, opening up uh, one of the restaurants that, that was an icon in Austin, was the Austin Tamale House. And so they've started again. Uh, and what school did you go to here uh, in Austin? I went to Our Lady of Guadalupe School as a little girl. And then I went to uh, St. Mary's Academy, and then to college. Uh, and where did you go to college at? I went to UT, and I went to Southwest Texas State University. Okay. You want to tell us a little bit about what you studied in, or what was it? Well, I was trained as a teacher. Mm -hmm. I got a degree in, in education with a specialization in bilingual education. And I worked as a teacher for many years. Uh, but then I left teaching uh, when I became involved, real involved in issues in the community. And on a trip to Houston, I met a publisher that was publishing, <coughs> excuse me, a, a Spanish language newspaper. And uh, I worked for him for a while. It was called El Sol. And then I came back to Austin and opened La Prensa in 1986. And how long have you been working with La Prensa? Or what is your title with the La Prensa? Well, I'm the publisher, the founder and the publisher, and the cook and bottle washer. <laughs> 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 and I've been doing that since 1986, and I'm still doing it. You're still doing it. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about maybe, what were some of the politics that were talked about in your family as you were growing up or as you worked La Prensa? Uh, do you remember issues of the politics, either local, state, and national, or a little bit of any of that that your family talked about? <coughs> My family never got involved in politics, mm -hmm. and to their chagrin, I was the one that was involved. They wanted me to open up a restaurant or work in one of the restaurants. Uh, they never talked about it. I became attracted to it just f through my involvement and uh, through education, I suppose, I became very aware of the issues. 
One thing that that I always remember as a even growing up was that I could never get over the difference between where I lived and where downtown was. I still remember the first time I crossed I-35. It was like going from black and white to technicolor for me. And I always asked the question, why is it different on that side as opposed to this side? And I continue to ask that question throughout my adult life. Uh, and and don't be afraid to expand, you know, to go okay. on, you All know, right. uh, to give more details because the people, new people who are going to see that or go to the history center don't know your background, don't know yeah. your family, don't know your history, you know, <coughs> don't know that you're probably the, the publisher of La Prensa, and that's good you've talked to them, but I just want to say don't be afraid to expand or to add because... Okay. Just remember, it's not just us. It's going to be people from all over who want to know this history. All right. Um, and so when that gets through, um, the next thing I'm going to talk to you is I'm going to get now. Um, is the camera about rolling? Your work on the Mac. No, it's not rolling. No, I have to. get some water. Yeah, yeah, get some water. Yeah. I think I need some water. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm nervous. I'm Mom, get them some water. Huh? Get them some water. Sure. Just remember that, uh, just like you're just talking to me, Kathy. Don't, don't. Uh, uh, okay. And you know you want to make sure that. Just, just go ahead and tell your story the way it is. If you want to elaborate, please do so. We're back. Uh, we had to wait for for that uh, horn that was going off. Uh, so <clears throat> we're going to go back. And uh, Kathy, thank you so much for giving us some of that uh, background history uh, on you and your family. And uh, now we're kind of going to kind of switch forward to talk about the Mexican American uh, Culture Center. Uh, and what period did you become involved in the creation? of the Mexican American Culture Center, or the MAC as people know it? I became involved in 1991, and uh, I was appointed to the Planning Commission, and um, it was a very powerful position uh, because the Planning Commission decided almost everything about the development of the city, as well as as well as 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 funding for different uh, endeavors and projects, I asked to be appointed to the CIP budget subcommittee and became its chair, and realized that that we were responsible for uh, recommending bond items for the for the bond and. Uh, when I got on the planning commission, when I when I was appointed, there 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 were certain there were several things that I really wanted to accomplish, and that was that I wanted to to uh, to revitalize, help revitalize, and improve uh, the quality of life in East Austin through rezoning and cultural and economic development. And the other thing that I wanted really bad was to resuscitate the MAC. The MAC had been shelled after its second uh, feasibility study, 
and it was being kept alive by the task force because the task force has always existed it's just evolved into other phases and uh, it was kept alive primarily through the efforts of of the late Emma Barrientos and Carlos Pineda and the other task force members of course and they were valiantly keeping it alive through such events as Casa Navideña uh, at Zilker Park during the Christmas holidays. But other than that, there was, there was no plan, there were no plans to fund it in any way or to put it back on the bond election. And so I thought, well, maybe I could do that. <laughs> and uh, I asked to be appointed to the task force. And uh, I met Emma Barrientos and Carlos Pineda and the other people. And sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know why I did that. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You're, you're uh, thinking back on, on all of this history and stuff, so it's okay. It's okay. I'm so sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. It's a lot. It's a lot for you. You're having to relive a whole lot of things, and so uh, no problems. Well, I got the idea that that maybe we could lobby the task force and myself being on the planning commission that I could call first of all I could request a report from the city on the project you know that everybody knew was dead in the water at that time so I asked staff to give a report and I asked the task force members to come and I asked various questions and um, and I knew that I was on the CIP budget so I got the support of the planning commissioners uh, to consider putting the MAC and the Carver on the 1992 bond election. But um, uh, it was very difficult. <laughs> it was very difficult. But uh, the uh, task force members did their part. They would come to every hearing, every meeting, everything. And did you get it on the bond in Well, uh, I did get it on the bond election. Uh, I was able, it was very difficult because we were in competition with uh, land acquisition projects that the council wanted to fund, mainly the BCCP at that time and the Wilderness Park. And of course, the SOS was going to be on the bond on the election too. So uh, uh, I had to get the support of the planning commissioners and ask the community come to, to, to testify. And at that time, we had several initiatives that I also wanted to be on the bond election. Was there, there were what we call people projects, like the Saragossa Library, the Go Valley Library, the ball fields, uh, many of the rec centers, both in East and Southeast Austin and across the city and they were in they were in real competition with 
what I would call the green priorities. Uh, but it, I found, um, I found some monies that had been allocated in a previous bond election to Laguna Gloria, but uh, they had never been authorized or used. And so I, uh, I made a motion on the Planning Commission to, uh, to request that, to the City Council, that we place them both the Mexican American Cultural Center and the Carvey Museum on the bond election. And if they didn't want to fund that, uh, because uh, they didn't want to expend the money for cultural projects, that then we could uh, use the money from Laguna Gloria. <laughs> and instead, I'll never forget, later I heard that Laguna Gloria had gone to city council and said, who is this Kathy Vasquez and why does she want our money? Uh, but um, we did put it on the, on the bond election and there were unprecedented series of three public hearings. Uh, three public hearings where the people would come out mainly for the Mac and the Carver and all of the people projects and um, we were under limitations because we had only uh, we could only re recommend a certain amount of general obligation bond dollars and so it was getting larger and larger the, the list was getting larger and larger and I say we were in competition but um, the people would still come out. The MAC people came out, all the people in the community came out. And uh, I remember that, um, I remember in particular, there was a, a longtime arts commissioner and a leader of a major art muse uh, association in Austin and came out and spoke at one of the hearings and they said a lot of things, but mainly what they said that, and they tried to say it even in Spanish, but mainly what they said that it wasn't time for a MAC center in Austin. It wasn't time for the cultural center. And I also remember one of the task force members uh, leaning over to me and telling me, I guess 500 years is not long enough in this continent. <laughs> we'll have to wait um, some more. Uh, but really what it was is how could we, you know, how could we expect to have a cultural center if the mainstream society in Austin didn't have their cultural center? Because it had been delayed because of various issues. That was a real reason. So, um, so you, uh, it got placed on the bond. Um, did it move forward then? It did. It did? It did. And can you tell us, okay, what was the next step on the creation of the MAC? Well, step? talking about, you know, the bond, uh, the bond in initiative, what happened was that we were faced with two months to wage a campaign to promote an idea that basically lived in the hearts and minds of the task force and the previous task force of 1986, and before that, the nine-member planning team. And we were trying to build a dream, and we had to educate, because we have elections at large, 
citywide. Well, it didn't have anything to do with that, that at that time, but it had to run at large, of course, because it was a bond election. Uh, we had to educate the entire community about the project, its need, and the importance to the community. And we knew that it was a miracle that we were on the bond election to begin with. But it had happened because I had happened to be on the CIP committee, and I was on the inside putting it on the list of bond projects. And then the community was coming out to support, my, to support me and to support, support the, the item. So we knew that it had been a miracle that we were on the bond election to begin with and that it would take another miracle to win. So we began, uh, it was Emma and I and all the people, we began to do what we could. You know, we didn't have, it was in the summertime. You know, we postponed any vacations we had. We did that day and night. Carlos Pineda, Emma Barrientos and I, we at least spent three days a week uh, meeting since the day we met on trying to figure out how to move the back forward and put it on the bond election before we lost reservation of the land. The land was so and is so valuable and we knew we had to reserve it and we had to show part of the part of the uh, the uh, requirement for a reservation of the land every five years, which was uh, a hardship on the task force, because they had to do that every five years, uh, was that we had to show movement on the project, progress on the project, you know. So we were in, in dire need to do something. But what was I talking about? Well, we were talking about the bond, but Maybe you can explain oh, how the, the reservation of the land uh, took. Wh what's that about? The, you talk about the reservation of the land. You had to. You had to be showing progress. But what is the reservation of the land? Well, you know, when I was con contacted by the Austin History Center, uh, I wasn't going to do this. But then, when you called me, that's why I agreed to do it. And that's the only reason I'm doing it. Uh, because you're interviewing me. Uh, I formulated three questions in my mind when I was called that I think should be addressed. Number one, who is responsible? Who are the individuals or groups responsible for the construction of our majestic facility on River Street? And why did it take so long, number two? And number three, how did the community that initiated the project lose possession of the project and now belongs to the city? And the city operates it. You know, uh, I believe my 15-year-long association with the MAC during its planning and development, as well as its both bond elections, uh, as well as my work on Simaca, which was the organization that had a 50-year contract that we obtained for a dollar a year to operate and manage the facility. I, I think it puts me in a good position to answer some of those questions. And when I, when I speak about specific instances or re relate certain things, 
when I say the city, I mean the city, bureaucracy, and the mayor, and the city council. All of them. So the first question, who is responsible? There's no mystery about it. None at all. There's no need for so much inquiry. The people responsible for the, for the construction of the dream was simply the nine-member planning team that served in the early 80s that, uh, that first came up with the, wanted to do a feasibility study uh, to determine the need for such a center. There were several people on the planning team, and I have that documented, but the two names that come to my mind right now are Hortensia Palomares and Marcus de Leon, who were, who were leaders in East Austin. That's another thing that has to be really stated is, you know, there's this talk of this, that somehow somebody came from California and gave us the idea to build a Mac, or that somebody was sitting in a restaurant and it came to them. That's not true at all. There was a nine-member team from the East Town Lake citizens that convinced PARD, Parks and Recreation Department, to appoint a nine-member team to conduct a study on the feasibility of building such a center. And, uh, and they, they contracted an architect by the name of Ponciano Morales to do a conceptual plan to determine square footage and some kind of, and 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 cost, and uh, they held public hearings in the community, and of course they the the result was that there was an interest. Of course, there was an interest. It had been for years before, but there was nothing ever established concrete in terms of a body officially doing it with seventy-five thousand dollars from the city of Austin to do the study and the conceptual plan. That's the key. That has always been the key to the MAG. You have to have, you have to somehow be associated with a budget item or be on the bond lecture and you're not gonna go anywhere. So, but, but what, what happened was that uh, along with that study, they did come up with, they, they said they came up with a plan to do it at Fiesta Gardens. That was the original intent. And, uh, but in the cities in medical way, they also said they needed more study. So what did that do to the MAC? That meant we had to go to another study. And so alloc they allocated some more, some more money for that. And uh, the, the, the second study was more expanded, more detailed, it was more about um, you know, fiscal uh, issues and things like that. But the most important thing that occurred after, it was, it was done in 1986 by an outfit known as Corgoni and uh, uh, I can't really remember. I have it, but I, I can't really remember it right now. No, it was, it was one of those outfits. It's Caragon, Conway, 
it was a study done in, in 1988. And the most important thing about that study was that it moved it away from East Austin. And it said that they, uh, they listed the site at River Street. And that would prove to be one of the largest and biggest obstacles toward the progress of the MAC because the property was in the Town Lake Corridor adjacent to the business district and uh, it was uh, a place known as a street and maintenance yard facility for the city of Austin for public works and uh, but there were a lot of things accomplished one thing that in, 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 in my research, one thing that I found was that um, they almost got it on the on a bond election. The task force of 1986, at that time, there was another east side person in charge, leading the charge, and that was uh, uh, Diane Castaneda. She was the chair. Uh, I want to say that uh, Emma Barrientos was very, very active on that task force in 1986. In addition to that, I want to say that she was on every task force because the task force, you know, it was created in 1986 and then people just kept being added when someone would get off or resign or their turn would be up or something. So it was the same task force. So you had the planning, the first planning team, the nine-member planning team, and then you had the first task force in 1986, which was led by Diane Castaneda. And uh, then you had the other ones after that. But uh, Emma Barrientos served on every one of those, including the nine-member team. And she's the only citizen in Austin that has the distinction of having served on every planning group that ever worked on the MAC. But um, that was the most significant thing that occurred was that, uh, that they decided to change this, this, the, the location. But as I was saying, that proved to be one of the biggest obstacles, you know. What made it an obstacle? Where it was. It was west of I-35. Oh, the location. The location. And it was, uh, and it is a magnificent site. But uh, the 1986 uh, task force were successful in getting uh, uh, the city council to approve the possibility of putting on a bond election, the CIP budget in 1986. But by 1988, the city council said they couldn't do it because uh, it had been recommended as a site, but it had never been designated formally by council action. So that was another way that the city hindered the progress of the MAC. The city has hindered the magic, the progress of the MAC since day one. And in answer to one of the second questions I posed was how come it took so long? Is because the city never wanted to build it never wanted to build it. I remember one time um, 
you asked me how you asked it had to be renewed every five years and that was another obstacle having to renew uh, the the site another five every five years and go through the politics of convincing somebody to put it on the agenda and put it on the council agenda and then getting the, the votes for it because because it was a piece of property that was in high demand by developers by people who wanted to partner with the city to do something maybe some high-rise housing or something else I mean even today this week's council agenda there was an item on the agenda to sell a piece of property adjacent to the Mac that the Mac always felt was going to be incorporated into the geography of the Mac to sell it and some of the people who are, are, are involved at this point uh, wanted to uh, wanted people to go speak about possibly giving that to the Mac but it, it's, it's always been a contentious issue because we moved it from East Austin. Had it not been moved from East Austin, it wouldn't have taken 30 years. I'm convinced of that. And, and who moved it to west of 35? The 1986 task force. You remember there was a planning team? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, that was led by the East Town Lake citizens and work with part, right? Yeah. Well, the city was all involved. It was in 1986 when they did the second study, a larger expanded study. They said that it should be uh, in the Town Lake Quarter. But I remember um, after the defeat of item 12 of the 1992 bond election, that was going back to the item that I sent from the CIP committee to the city council for placement. We lost that. And uh, after that, some of the Mac people and some of the Carver people got together with the Lagoon and Glory people, and we were going to work uh, to build consensus for the next bond election and work on our respective, uh, respective cultural centers. And somebody called a meeting at the MAC site, which was a street and bridge uh, maintenance facility, and, and tossed out the idea of possibly using the site to build the uh, mainstream cultural center and the Black Carver Center and the, the Mexican Carver, the Mexican American Cultural Center. And uh, a, an argument ensued, and uh, along with the people, there was a land developer a large land developer and uh, they were trying to say that they were trying to to change the use of the site you know not, not just reserved for the Mac and uh, I'll never forget we got into this heated argument but of course the Mac is the history of Mac is filled with heated arguments we got into this heated argument and I'll, I'll never forget Toward the end of it, the developer looked at me. He says, don't you understand, Miss Vasquez? Don't you understand that this land is too valuable for a Mexican center? You know, and then I knew that we all knew that it was a site that was holding us back. We all knew that.
have a third question that you had posed, or, or did you um, you feel that you covered uh, those particular areas? Uh, well, I talked about how we got it on the Mac, you know. Uh, on the bond, so you finally got it on the bond. Was right. that ninety six or ninety eight? No, that was ninety two. Ninety. Well, the second one. The the uh, there was a second study in ninety six, eighty six, nineteen eighty six. Remember the first study yes. that the Town Lake citizens did. Then there was a study in nineteen eighty six, and then the the the, the ninety eight nineteen eighty six task force almost got it on the bond election, but the city said that it wasn't designated; it was just recommended. Mm -hmm. So they used that not to put it on it. So delayed another time, another ten, six years. Uh, and so then, uh, so then uh, we uh, we uh, got it the, finally in 1992. We got it on the bond election, and I was telling you earlier how we we knew that there was no way it was a miracle to be on it in the first place, and we need another miracle to win. And uh, we were approached by the SOS people. Uh, and they were they they knew that the voter turnout was going to be low in the Hispanic precincts as it always has been. They were more interested in building their image as uh, an organization that was uh, concerned and empathetic to the issues of. Uh, the environmental issues of Mexican American community and the cultural issues, and uh, so they wanted to partner. They wanted uh, they wanted to uh, to help us in the campaign. So we felt at that time that that was a miracle we needed because we knew that they were all going to go out and vote, and they were all going to go out and vote for the SOS and the BCCP and the Wilderness Park. And if we could form a strong coalition with them. That while they were voting for that, they would vote for the Mac and the Carver. So uh, we did. We did a partnership, and at the end of it, we we analyzed the results, and there was a twenty percent differential. Every person that voted for SOS, there was twenty percent that didn't vote for the Mac. But. But they voted 75%. The people who voted for the Green Projects in 1992, including SOS, voted for the MAC, uh, the Mexican-Americans who voted, the Hispanics, voted 70. We gave them 75% of our vote. 75% of our vote is not a lot, but it was still 75% on an issue that, that uh, that they were hesitant to support in the beginning, uh, but they did it because they were su supposedly supporting the MAC, but they didn't. They really didn't. So this was 92? This was 92. And then the MAC comes back on the bond? No, the MAC was on the bond in 92. But it failed? It failed. Okay. And I'll tell you why it failed. It failed because of the city again. And 
it had to delay the project again. Primarily because of where it was. You see, placement of bond items are extremely important in an election when it relates to the Mexican-American community or the black community. Uh, in every election, uh, if there is an identifiably minority issue, if it's not placed in a safe category, a safe placement is going to fail. In 1987, there was a, a lower income housing project that was placed, it was sitting alone on the ballot. And it failed miserably. So we knew this. We knew the realities of the politics of Austin. So the task force begged council to put the item under, under a, for example, item number eight on the bond election of 1992 would, see the MAC would have been, if the MAC had been approved, the MAC would have been administered by Parks and Recreation. Parks and Recreation had a big pond election, big item, it was item eight, and it passed by 63%. So if we had been under PARD, PARD's items, projects, we would have won. To say it more simply, everybody knows that if you want a library in East Austin, you have to put it under the category with the libraries in West and North Austin. If you want to get the Go Valley Library built, let's, for example, you need to put it with Windsor or somebody else, and it'll pass because they're going to go out and vote for that item. And so the placement of the, of the bond item was caused the failure of the MAC. See. So uh, right, let's uh, fast forward then. The MAC did come back on the bond, did it? Yes, it did. Okay. But when, that's when later on. That? That's 1998. Okay, So maybe if you can tell us between 92 and 98, what were y'all working on on the MAC, or what was going on, or what was your vision uh, for the MAC uh, during that time? Because I understand you just lost, um, uh -huh. well, everyone had well, lost at 92. Well, you know, the, 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 the MAC initiative was born in a period where there was a lot of, uh, I don't know where I was at that time. I know I'm old enough, but I don't know where I was. that. But there was a period of unrest. Uh, one of the uh, centro had been burned or something, and uh, people were feeling that that there wasn't a response to uh, there was an equity for their social and cultural needs, and they desperately wanted a center. Well, the same thing happened after the defeat of the MAC in 1992. People were angry because we all knew that if that if it, if there had been a guardian for it at the city, it would have been placed under item eight or somewhere else, you know, so it would have passed both the Mac and the Carver. And then everyone was upset because the environmentalists 
promised they were going to help us and all of that, and then it, that didn't work out. And then we only had two months to do the, the campaign. And, and the way it was explained by the city was that that was uh, that uh, the people thought it to be a luxury item. How could that be a luxury item when they appropriated so much land, millions of dollars, for the black cap vario? And here we were trying to. The one thing, if if I could summarize what the Mac has meant to everybody along the years, is that it's a place. It's a place where we can celebrate our culture, not only with each other and our families, and share it with others, and help our children, you know. And so the MAC has always been so important as an educational tool, as, an edu as a cultural endeavor. So the, the, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, hard feelings and uh, I think the city became concerned about that. And there were also politicians aspiring to higher office. There was also an issue at the time. I was approached by a city official after the bond election failed in 1992. And that person asked me, what do I have to do to get you and the MAC people off my back? I said, well, number one, we need to reserve the site in perpetuity for the MAC, not this business of every five years that we have to fight tooth and nail to get it re reassigned, re you know, reserved. That's number one. Number two, we need a resolution or a motion uh, to look and see how we can um, revisit the Treaton Bridge Yard and use it as a temporary facility for the MAC. And number three, give me the key so I can give it to the artist so they can start cleaning up. And by 1993, council approved a study to reuse the Street and Bridge Yard maintenance facility. We had the key. In 1993, they had the first passerella. And, and was that something you were involved in? in the first well, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, uh, the MAC task force, uh, like I said, is real important. It was the planning team, the nine member planning team, the task force, and the task board would be renewed and rejuvenated every so often. In 1997, the task force became Samaka. And what does those initials stand for? Uh, Center for Mexican American Cultural, Mexican American Cultural Arts. And uh, as Emma had done to me many years ago, I remember when I became the chair of the task force sometime in '91. She said, she said. You're going to do it now. You're going to be the chair. I turned to Rowan Salinas and said, you're going to do it now. <laughs> so I had, I had been whipped pretty bad and gone through a lot. 
And uh, so he became the chair of the, of the Samaka in 1997. Well, I'm not sure of the date, but in 1997, Samaka was formed, so he must have been, become the chair sometime before then. And, uh, and around that time, we signed a lease with the city, Samaka did, for 50 years for $1 to construct, to operate, and manage the facility. And uh, in uh, 1998, there was a bond election for something like uh, $10,000,000.9 to build the MAC at long last. And uh, he's going to be uh, interviewed, and uh, I've spoken with him, and I think that the, from the time that Samaka got the contract. Uh, And the uh, with the city of Austin, and we chose a we created a master plan, and we chose the design and chose the architect, a world-renowned Theodore Gonzalez de Leon. I think he's going to talk about all that time. So I guess uh, so. After that time, um, when the bond passes. Are you still on the ta on the task, or are you still on Samaka? Are you still a member of Samaka? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, so your role continues. My role continues, but Rowan Salinas takes the leadership. Okay. And so, uh, have you been continuously involved in, in Samaka from that time, or? Yes, as we still are. We still we have a nonprofit. Okay, and so I guess just to. Um, you said you signed a lease with the city of Austin for a dollar for 50 years. Uh-huh. Uh, where is, was this the lease on the same property that we now see uh, the Emilabadi and Desmex American Culture Center on? Yes. Okay. And so does Simaka still have the lease? No, it doesn't. Okay. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? or? Well, Rowan's going to talk about that in his interview. But all I can tell you is that. Uh, of what you know. Well, basically that uh, the, the city of Austin uh, terminated its contract with Samaka. But it didn't issue a contract for a non, another nonprofit. Whether it had issues with Samaka for whatever reason is one thing, but the initiative for the cultural center began with a citizen group, and it's not run by a citizen group. It's not run by a nonprofit, and the ballet is run by a nonprofit. The uh, Austin Lyric Opera is run by a nonprofit. The Laguna Gloria is run. The ballet is run. But somehow the city seemed it appropriate to usurp a nonprofit group and revert 
the operation and, man and management of the center to the city. And that's where it is now. And um, so are, are you to this date, uh, were you there when the, uh, the MAC uh, opened uh, five years ago? Were yes, I was. Uh, I was. Uh, mm -hmm. And can you tell us something that you remember about the MAC at that time? Well, I remember it being very beautiful. I remember the architect coming down, you know, he was uh, the rock star, sort of. And where was it, the, rock, the uh, architect coming from? Uh, he's a well-renowned, from Mexico City. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I guess um, you've told us about all, you know, the different things that the MAC has gone to gone through and so and um, and um, I, I guess I should say like at this point are you still involved in the MAC uh, are you on any of the task force you tell me you're still on some mock-up but you don't have the contract anymore no no what what we want to do is uh, in Samaka we we want to deal with uh, with uh, being um, a resource center for artists and uh, we have a website where we, we uh, place a, a list of events that occur and uh, we want to raise money for programming to, uh, to have programming at the center. Uh, and I guess uh, you've, you've uh, covered a lot of the stuff on the Mac and I just want to let you know if there's anything you felt we left out or if there's uh, any other words that you'd like to uh, to add now that we talked about the MAC and, and its history and the long struggle it's gone through. Are there any uh, final words that you'd like to uh, for the public to know about the MAC? I think I've said a lot already. Well, I want to thank you uh, for uh, all your time uh, in giving us uh, your history and our history of, of the, the MAC, now the Emma Barrientos uh, Mexican-American Culture Center. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you. Thank you. Pretty good. Hold up. I'm trying to figure out how to turn this one off. Come on, we